The Fail On Podcast, episode 007. Ultimately, everybody that's had a serious wake-up call, if they choose to act in an aligned way, an authentic way as a result of it, all they simply do, all they simply do, if I could wrap it up in one sentence, is they simply give themselves permission to do the shit they've always wanted to do all their life. That's it. Welcome to the Fail On Podcast, where we explore the hardships and obstacles today's industry leaders face on their journey to the top of their fields through careful insight and thoughtful conversation. By embracing failure, we'll show you how to build momentum without being consumed by the result. Now, please welcome your host, Rob Nunnery. Hey there, and welcome to the podcast that believes if you want to create the life of your dreams, then embracing failure by taking urgent and bold action is the only way. Today, we're sitting down with Philip McKernan. We're here in the Bahamas on the island of Eleuthera. Just a little bit more about Philip. He's an inspirational speaker, writer, and filmmaker. He's worked with celebrities, very well-known entrepreneurs, Olympic and pro athletes, and even high-ranking government officials. We'll be chatting about how to gain clarity around what you're actually on this planet to do, how living an unaligned life will leave you with nothing but regret, and how it's absolutely impossible to fail if you are actually pursuing your true gift and calling, and obviously much, much more. But first, to stay up to date on all of the Fail On podcast interviews and key takeaways from each guest, go to failon.com and sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of the page. That's failon.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Fail On Podcast. I am really excited for a couple reasons today. One is, I don't know, this might be the first podcast beachside in Eleuthera in the Bahamas. I'm sitting here with Mr. Philip McKernan. He's an inspirational speaker, writer, and filmmaker. He's got one of the biggest hearts of anybody that I know. He told me to say all this stuff. No, but he was really able to help me get through a tough transitional period in my life that actually led me to start Fail On. So for that, thank you, Philip. And it's an absolute honor to have you on the Fail On podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You have got it. And just for some context in the setting, so we're staring off into this beautiful, crystal clear, you know, the picturesque view that you would imagine when sitting in the Bahamas. And we've got pina coladas. So we're partying today. But just to get back into it, so having worked with celebrities, billionaires, Olympic athletes, high-ranking government officials, what set you on the course to be doing what you're doing today? And what is it that you actually do? I think at some level, I believe, as corny and as cliche as it sounds, I, I do believe at some level I was put on this earth to do what I do now. And I think I did everything in my power to not see it, mm. to complicate my life, to head down avenues and paths that actually were almost bringing me in the opposite direction of who I was. And I think I failed and floundered and meandered my way through so much of my life. I mean, I'm 44 years old now. And by the way, when I say this, I'm not trying to imply that I'm at some you know perfect destination, sure. even though right now it's hard to argue that one <laughs> in a physical context. But, yeah. you know, I think I spent probably most of my life trying to be anything but me, like anybody but Philip McKernan. Mm. And I think probably the most powerful thing I did was I actually just stopped and I don't, it wasn't a moment or a day, but it was a period of my life where I stopped and I allowed 
the pain and the realization that I was lost and I wasn't happy yeah. grip me and, and, and consume me to some extent. And a lot of people today, as, and I was one of them, um, was I was just staying so busy and I was, I was running and running and running. And of course, I was running from something. I didn't know what that was. And you know, for me, it was just the realization that who I am and who I'm trying to be and who I've become is, is not a reflection of who I am at the core. And I stopped. And number one is I had to recognize the pain of that. Number two is start to consider the cost of that if I didn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And then number three, in no particular order, was actually delving in and saying, okay, forget about what's next. Forget about living in the now. Who the fuck am I? Like, yeah. who is Philip McKernan at the core? Mm-hmm. And am I the story I've been telling myself? Am I the byproduct of this of this surface story like my name is Philip and I grew up here and I have two older brothers and whatever or is there something deeper and the reality was there's something way deeper and when I started to uncover that then I started to show up using that and allowing that to be a part of myself in a way that you know was never there before we're probably I don't know maybe few hundred yards from the airport and we've got a plane landing right now so if you hear a little background noise that's an airplane landing not far from here and if you hear another clink or some ice that's mr philip drinking his pina colada don't mind us are we trying to piss people off are we trying to actually inspire them here (laughs) (laughs) maybe a little bit of both (laughs) so what you said there was interesting in terms of knowing in your core that you weren't living the life that you were meant to and you weren't being who you are at the core. Tell me more about that moment. How were you able to recognize that? Was it a was it a gut feeling? Was it something intellectual? What I'd love to tell you it was more proactive. And I think there was a bit of proactiveness in it. And um, but typically, unfortunately, in the world that we live in today, men and women have to almost find that they're reacting to that place. In other words, yeah. they hit a place of like lowness, mm. they hit a place of depression, it manifests itself physically, mentally, emotionally. In other words, they hit a wall. Yeah. And I have this idea of, of writing a book. I'm just about to give it away for the first time ever publicly, but this idea of writing a book mm. called Wake Up Call. And it was just the idea of this book is inspired by the question you just asked. And, yeah. you know, somebody says, well, what is that? It sounds interesting. What is it? I said, it would be basically interviewing people who've had a type of wake up call, uh, some type of, you know, physical, mental, or emotional, mm. you know, sledgehammer or wall, um, who they were before, what happened. And as they moved through it, what did they do as a result? Sure. So, for example, it would interview people who have had, you know, a serious physical ailment that one could argue was brought on by ultimately a lifetime of misalignment. Mm-hmm. Somebody has some sort of mental or emotional kind of breakdown, which again is brought on by a series of misalignments or longevity of misalignment in their life, like doing shit they didn't, they weren't meant to do. Yeah. And then what they do, and here's here's the very basic. So no one ever has to write buy the book. By the way, if it does go live, all of your audience can just basically here's the beginning, middle, and end, all sure. wrapped up in one thing. Is ultimately everybody that's had a serious wake-up call, if they choose to act in an aligned way, an authentic way as a result of it, all they simply do, all they simply do, if I could wrap it up in one sentence, is they simply give themselves permission to do the shit they've always wanted to do all their life. That's it. And I've interviewed enough people to know that there is, I'm simplifying it for obvious reasons, but there is some commonality. Like somebody says, you know, shit, I had nothing to lose at that point. So I decided to open up the pizza parlor or nothing to lose. So I ended up writing the book. I had nothing to lose. And I told her I loved her and asked her to marry me and whatever it was. But ultimately, I think sometimes, and it's unfortunate that we have to wait. You asked me earlier on, what do I actually do now? Yeah. I mean, I suppose in a way, I'm, I'm trying to wake people up. I'm trying to wake people up to the realities in which they exist in and letting them know 
and giving them permission and assisting them to get clear on, number one, that doesn't need to be that way. And sometimes we settle for ordinary when it doesn't need to be. It can be more extraordinary. It can be whatever. And I help guide people in a coaching, mentoring capacity to make those decisions and transition into a place of more alignment. So they love what they do. They love who they are and they love who they're with. What do you think is holding most people back from living in alignment? I think there's a few things. I think, you know, people use fear and I, I think fear plays a part for sure. The most common one I've found is is people almost feel undeserving. Mm. They don't feel that they deserve. They'll talk a great game. They'll have the vision boards. They'll write their mantras. They'll write their vision statement. They'll they'll create their goals and their dreams and their aspirations in writing or, in a, in, as I said, in a vision board of some sort or whatever. But often they deep down, they don't really feel that either one, it's available to them Two is they're, they're good enough to deserve that for various different reasons. Stories, lack of belief, self-worth is a huge, huge challenge in the world today. Some mm. might call it confidence, but self-worth yeah. is a foundational thing that I can't speak for you, Rob, but as a kid, no one ever took me by the hand and guided me to understand what, what my self-worth you know, meter was and how to reconcile it and how to maybe shift it. So when I shift my self-worth and I start to believe I deserve more, I'm worth more. And therefore what I do is I invite and I go after things in my life that represent that. So to me, self-worth is a huge one. And sometimes people are just genuinely scared of actually achieving something that really is part of who they are because they rather run the risk in failing doing something that's not aligned than run the risk of actually uncovering what they're here to do. Because fuck, if you fail doing what you're here to do, there's nothing left. Right. There's nothing left. So to me, actually, really, sometimes people are really afraid of how powerful they could be. Mm. That brings an interesting question. Can you fail at what you're here to be doing? Never. Never. Never been asked that question, an extraordinary question, and I don't believe it's even remotely possible because what you're here to do is literally what you're here in this earth to do. It might be singular, but it can evolve into something. So, for example, I'd love to tell you I woke up someday, realized I was misaligned, aligned my life to do what I do now, and I will literally, as you said before we went on air, I will be doing this to the day I die. How I do it will pivot and shift and change. It'll be a book. It'll be a movie. It'll be a, a documentary. It'll be a you know a podcast. Whatever it's going to be, I don't know. But what I'm here to do will never change from this day forth yet. My dad pulled me aside one day, and I've never shared this publicly before, and said, what are you doing? You're pissing your life away. You keep jumping from thing to thing to thing. And I said, I don't see it as that. I see it as I'm experimenting. I yeah. see that I'm not willing to settle when I know in my heart that this is not aligned. I try something else. Would I love to nail it in day one? Of course I would. Mm. But the other option was to settle for something I wasn't happy with. Yeah. But going back to your question, I absolutely believe in my heart that it's not possible to fail when you fully align yourself to what you're destined to do, your calling, your life's part, whatever you want to call that. I just don't think you can fail because it's such a – do you ever meet – and unfortunately, the answer to this question for a lot of us is we very meet very few, if any. But do you ever meet somebody that's just – doing what they're meant to do, whether it's cleaning the toilet, sweeping the, you know, raking the beach, you know, sailing a boat, speaking on a stage, and you just look at them and they're not trying to persuade you. They're not too slick. They're not, they're mm. just, you just know that they're aligned, albeit for yeah. this moment in their life. And they can't fail. Right. Even a really good artist's worst fucking painting, it's just majestic. Sure. Well, I guess that makes, that simplifies it, right? For, for most people that don't know what they should be here for, if you can't fail at what you're meant to do, your whole mission should be finding what you're here for then, right? Absolutely. So what – and I think we've talked about this in the past. For for me – Can I interrupt yeah, one thing? Absolutely. My apologies to do this. No, but, go ahead. But, but here's one of the challenges. What you said makes 
for me makes total sense. And yeah. in fact, but if I'd heard that 10 years before, I probably would have, oh God, yeah, I feel like I'm sitting at the bottom of the mountain and Rob is really describing Mount Everest. Right. And it's this insurmountable thing and I'm not that fit and I don't have oxygen and I'm in my Speedos and trust me, you don't want to see me in my Speedos, <laughs> but I don't have the right equipment. I don't yeah. have the right thing. It's not the right timing. I'm not fit enough. I don't have the right team, etc. And I'm looking at this Mount Everest and the reality is that it doesn't need to be Mount Everest. I think the people put this massive emphasis on finding this purpose and they feel it's something like, and it's typically at the end of your nose. But here's the one of the biggest challenges is, and I just used this example for the first time the other day, most people don't want to see or don't want to acknowledge their progression. So for example, if I get a bulb, like a, you know, like a, a daffodil bulb and I bury it in the ground, or you give it to somebody and they bury it in the ground, okay, good, good for you, good job. You, 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 yeah, yeah, but the first thing often people say is, yeah, but there's nothing, I can't see anything. Mm. I go, yeah, but it's under there, you buried it, you did that. Right. Yeah, but I can't see anything. And then I phone them and I, and I call them over to my house and I say, hey, look, and look at that, you know, the greenness that bursts through the soil and life and progression, whatever you want to call that, using this in the context life mm. and they say look 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 at the greenness look at look at the progression look at the life that you've helped bring into this world mm. and they go yeah but where's where's the flower where's the yellow flower philip yep. and then eventually i bring them over to see the yellow flower and they go yeah but it's going to wither up and die they're almost mm. determined sure not to see their progression they're almost determined not to see their growth yep. and what that does is when you can't see the first five percent the next ten percent has no right showing up Right. won't show up for yeah. you because you don't appreciate the first five. Mm. And I'm not just talking about straight gratitude here. I'm talking about recognizing the courage that we all have inherently within us, honoring it bit by bit. But if you can't see it, then you say, oh, well, I don't have the courage. I don't have the wisdom. I don't whatever. Yeah. And I compare myself to next people. And that and that's hugely detrimental when you're pursuing something like purpose or yeah. your gift or passion, whatever you want to call it. You talked a little bit about self-worth earlier. Why is it that so many people have such low self-worth? Is it the way parents are raising children nowadays what is that why oh man i think i think it's a number of things i think number one is as i said you know going back is the the educational formal educational system is too busy mm. shoving all sorts of shit into your face that number one is you'll never use and yeah. you know number two is you'll never use you don't actually need it arguably right. and it doesn't really teach you about you know the foundational stuff like self-worth when I speak in schools and I work with young people I mean my first go-to is self-worth I mean I don't ask them off the back because sometimes they don't understand the concept of it necessarily in, in its true essence and I think you know it's not it's not brought up in life you know two is how can you value yourself when you're too busy wearing masks yeah. how can you value yourself when you're too busy trying to live a life you know, to please your parents, to to please society. How can you really value and love who you are when you know you're, you've become so divided in your soul because what you want intellectually and what you want in your soul are different things. Yeah. So I just think we've become very disconnected from ourselves, or in some cases, we've just never discovered who we are, right. and therefore it leads us to this huge massive human identity crisis that's going on in the world. If you want to understand what you're on this earth to do, I give you one challenge, one invitation is just get to know who you are. You understand who you are intellectually and emotionally, not just intellectually and emotionally. What you're here to do, who you are, what is an extension of you, how you can impact the world, what your legacy ultimately is going to be, what your gift is. All of those things are a byproduct of understanding who you are personally. What's the best way that you found to go about that? Because I know for me, and this is me being pretty vulnerable, is that a lot of times in social settings, I'll find myself shifting to somebody else's personality and their likes and interest. One, you know, because it'll help me connect with them, right? And it'll make me be less different than them, so they'll accept me more, right? Yeah. 
But when I do that, it takes me away from who I am as a person. And it takes away from what I value. What would you say to somebody that has a similar issue? I mean, first of all, thank you for being, a, you know, not just aware of it, but thanks for having the courage to share it in, in this type of setting, mm-hmm. because ultimately you're embarking on a journey of inspiring people through the lens of a, of a podcast, one medium that you're using. Most people out there in the world, when they're in that position, they don't see that being vulnerable, you know, having, you know, sharing philosophies and vulnerabilities go together. And, and, and for you today, thank you for doing that. But, mm-hmm. you know, I remember years ago, my dad encouraging me and putting me under pressure, not intentionally, but unintentionally to read newspapers. And I, one of my many challenges is dyslexia. So reading was just not an option for me. And even today, it's, it's incredibly slow. And when I asked him, I said, well, why do you think I should, you, you know, he said, you need to be able to relate to people. And, you know, my dad's an uneducated man in the formal sense. So he used to read the newspaper all the time. So if he went into a, a public setting or a business setting and someone talked about the, the All Blacks playing rugby or they talked about the Blue Jays winning the whatever, he could relate at some level. Sure. And it was his gateway of connecting with people. Mm. And, you know, I get the theory behind that. I get the mechanics behind that. Yep. And I adopted that in my own way, even though it wasn't through newspapers. I was, I pretend to know something about something I just quite frankly, not just did I not know about it, I couldn't give a shit about it. Mm. And now it's a case if I sit down with somebody for a drink and they go, what do you think the Blue Jays win the other day? I said, listen, I, th- I think baseball's a stupid fucking game. <laughs> I may not be quite as direct or rude, rude or obnoxious, yeah. but I don't follow it. No interest. Saw a game. Can't stand it. Don't even believe it should be a sport. <laughs> for example, if I know them pretty well and they'll go, right. shit, that's a pretty interesting. They may not like that yeah. answer, but at least I, I let them know where I stand. Mm. And if I cannot connect with somebody in an authentic way, like yep. true my truth, yep. do I really want to connect with them? Yeah, and the answer to that point. question is no. So I think first and foremost is recognizing it and understanding it. But it, the biggest thing is most people's question would be, how do you help someone change from, let's just say, diluting who they are, wearing a mask, albeit temporarily or in a, in a longer space, to change that behavior. So when they walk into a public setting, they don't feel that they compromise, dilute who they are to fit in. How would you help somebody pivot and change? That's the wrong question. That's the second, third question. My number one question is, where did you start doing it? Why did you start doing it? Where did it show up? So you start to understand its origin. People are so forward-facing today, Rob, in the world. So you've got two camps. You've got the living in the now camp, typically, and you've got the future camp. Mm. So, hey, future goal setting, this, this, and this, living in the future, manifesting the future, trying to find the next secret, even though there's no such thing as a secret. Mm -hmm. And then you've got these other people who are saying, trying to live in the now. But isn't living in the now perfect? Well, no, it's not fucking perfect because if my now is shit, I don't want to live in it. (laughs) Okay? And I certainly don't want to live in it for long periods of time. Right. But if you can understand where did this come from, a number of things happen. Number one is you get a really wonderful intellectual perspective. You get an emotional perspective. And dare I say it, maybe we can start to engage with the C word, the mm. big C word that society talks a lot about, but we very seldom internalize it. And the word I'm talking about is compassion, that when we start to look at our past, rather than judging ourselves as a bad father, a bad mother, about this, about that, or about anything, we realize actually the reason we are who we are today is because of our personal narrative. Mm -hmm. So when you go back into the past and understand, hey, when I was eight, I remember doing this and I was trying to fit in. I was trying to talk to my dad who was very distant and I tried to talk to him about a subject that didn't matter to me and I hated, but it was the only way I could connect to him. Mm -hmm. So really what it is, it shows you an insight into a small boy who was doing his best at the age of eight to connect with his father and then internalize that and said, hey, I can only connect with humans when I pretend to be not myself. Mm. 
Am I making any sense here? So that's just an insight. So the point is that, and I've built, and this is not an advertising for my work. I'd never come onto a packet trying to, but I've built an experience that brings people back into their past for this very purpose Mm -hmm. so they can understand intellectually and emotionally who they are. And then they can pivot that story. They can influence, not control, and rewrite a bit of the future with absolute understanding intellectually, emotionally, how they have been built, who they are. So therefore, it doesn't need to haunt their future. Hmm. I mean, we even had this brief conversation before we got online where you asked me if I get nervous before I come on a podcast. And I said, I said, no. And especially in person, like in this kind of setting, because it feels like we're having a conversation. Whereas in, if it's just an audio only Skype type of interview, I get a bit more nervous because I can't read the person. I can't see them. It's a bit harder to build rapport over the phone only. And I shared, no, I, I don't really get nervous in this setting, but over the phone a little bit. And if I'm talking to groups of people in person, I get extremely nervous to where my voice is quivering, my hands are shaking. And I told you what that stemmed from was from a college class I had where I had to give a presentation and it was terrifying for me. Like I was up there in front of the class talking to them, hands shaking, voice quivering. And it happened, <laughs> it maybe felt like half an hour, but I was probably up there five minutes, but you know, it's just funny. And you said it, it's like, why do we hold on to these negative stories we tell ourselves? And we don't even acknowledge the positive things that we've done. Totally. And even on that situation is if you continue to track that backwards, Mm. you'll find that actually the origin, the outcome was the college situation. But what happened before that? So for example, let me just give you, there was an example that just came up there a minute ago. I was speaking to somebody who, whose confidence has they're very much in the public domain mm. and their confidence has been, you know, not, I wouldn't say shattered, but deeply severed, you know, over the last while. And they gave me an example of this. And I said, give me an example. They said they had to do a public talk. They did the talk in front of like six or 700 people. And the body language, the beginning, the middle and end was a fucking disaster, basically. Yeah. Let's just fast track the story. Sure. And I said, okay, so great. So I hear you f- focusing on the outcome. Like there was a disaster and therefore it was your fault and you weren't the right guy and you should have been on that stage. And it, it was a shitty talk. Right. And in fact, ultimately it represents the, you know, how you deeply feel about yourself to some extent. But I said, let's just go beyond. What happened just before the talk? He said, well, I got up there. And I said, no, no, what happened just before that? Turns out that about 30 to 40 minutes before he literally gets on stage, he was influenced by a so-called, and I'm doing quote unquote here with my fingers, well-known speaker to pivot his story, to pivot his, his talk 30 minutes beforehand. In other words, this gentleman didn't just give his advice. He basically influenced this man to really rewrite his talk before he got up. So it was out of alignment with who this man was. So if you keep tracking it back to its origin, oh. what you'll find is sometimes the the trigger, the memory remembers the college situation because yeah. it was it amplified the problem. It amplified the situation. Right. It, you, you got embarrassed in front of your peers. It yeah. really amplified it. However, most likely the core existed well before that. Mm. The core of the issue existed. And if you can get back to the core, what you can do is you can just start to not fully dissolve, but start to, to dissolve the significance of it and realize that it's not just about groups. And you can almost rewire and tell yourself a slightly different story. Are you telling yourself the true story? Just a different story? Or are you, are you suggesting that you actually rewrite it 
and kind of tell yourself stuff that's not necessarily true? No, 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 okay, no, no, no. Got it. no, no, it'll be really clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You never, sorry, and there's people out there who believe that if you just rewrite yep. the story, tell yourself a different story, repeat it a thousand times, right, exactly. write it a thousand times, you'll change the story. I think that's complete horseshit. Got I it. do not believe in that methodology. I think it's fundamentally flawed. I think it's inauthentic. I think eventually it will come back to haunt you eventually mm-hmm. down the line and it will come back way more dramatic. You only tell yourself the truth, but okay. sometimes the story we tell ourselves isn't necessarily always the reality. So I give, let me give you an example yeah. of, of one Please. that just comes to mind. One of my close friends called Shane from Ireland. Mm. And one of the things that Shane didn't want to do is he didn't want to have kids. Mm. And, you know, I remember, I remember we went, I don't know how over lunch we did a deeper dive on this. And I said, Shane, I, I hear what you're saying and you're telling me all the, the so-called, you know, right stuff like, oh, you know, you want your freedom and all this kind of stuff, which I think is unfortunate that, that right. people think that if you have kids, you lose your freedom. Yep. I don't think it's that case at all personally. But anyway, and he said, I just, you know, and I said, you know, I hear that, but I just don't feel it from you. Mm. And he said, yeah, and it was also, you know, my dad's influence. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, oh, my dad, you know, really, you know, regrets to some extent having us. I mean, he loves us, but he regrets it because it really prevented him from becoming an entrepreneur. And I went, he told you that? He goes, yeah, pretty much. Mm. And I said, did he tell you that? He goes, yeah. And he said, well, this is exactly what he said. He said, I asked him one day, would you like to have been an entrepreneur? Would you like to have gone out on your own? He goes, yeah, but then I had you guys. And I said, okay, Shane, well, that's a slightly different variation of what you told me. I'm just curious, where's the truth? And he goes, well, well, that's my perception of it. And I go, well, I think you should have a conversation Mm. with him. And he went and talked to his dad, and his dad nearly died. His dad nearly died when he heard Shane's interpretation of what he said. He said, number one is, I can't remember the conversation. Number two, if I even gave you this sense Mm. that you, my two children, who I love to bits, or three, I think they ended up having three, had any influence in a negative, he said, over my life, if I didn't do this or didn't do that, that's my choice. Mm. It was never because of you guys. And Shane nearly, like, it was like someone lift this black veil off his face. Mm. Somebody gave him this, you know, 10,000 hours of therapy in one and it didn't fully make his decision to have a child or not but it freed him to make an authentic decision as opposed to being led by something he was telling himself was true he now has two children and I would say I would hazard a guess that if he was sitting here today he would say that and he wouldn't send them back Yep, he wouldn't send them back that's an interesting that's an interesting take what just in terms of how you got started in this and what you're doing today, right? Inspiring people, helping them uncover their gift, their true story. I guess, how did you uncover that gift for yourself? Because I think a lot of people out there struggle with finding out why they're on this planet. How are you able to navigate that and find out why you're here? It's interesting. It's an interesting question. How did you uncover that for yourself? To some extent, I didn't. Mm. <laughs> which may not be the answer anybody wants, but to me, I think it's still uncovering. And I don't, I think the thing about me, the one thing I will say, if you scour the internet, you'll rarely ever hear me say I'm very good at something, but I'm very good at taking action in the absence of clarity. So I have a saying or a quote that I live by in the absence of clarity, take action. So when you're unsure about something, you, you execute. And I don't mean the minute you're unsure you execute. Mm-hmm. I'm saying you sit with it. Yes, you do your pros and cons. You can sit with it, whatever. Right. But I mean, geez, this over, you know, analyzing, you know, just is, is 
so paralyzing and so exhausting, quite frankly. And there's so much stuff out there that makes you do that stuff. Totally. Like, like do these exercises and you'll find out your passion yeah. or your purpose. No. To me, I think it's experimenting. I mean, for you, I said this to the you know the other night over a drink or over dinner is like I just really admire the fact that you're putting yourself out there and you might say things like well well it's other people's stories right. or I'm into it no you're putting yourself out there and you know I would say to you or anybody else you know this could just be a stepping stone this yeah. could be it this could be it you might do podcasting for the rest of your life but right. you're doing something the challenge and the frustration becomes when you meet people who are not sure who they are they're not sure what they want to do they just stay paralyzed and don't want to do anything and they're victimized by their own individual story that they're so hellbent and holding on to how i discovered it i think again back to this wonderful concept of pain pain is a, is a wonderful ally None of us want to experience it, but when we do, it typically tells us something. It typically tells us that the coral that you just touched again, one of the guys got badly stung, is dangerous. It's bad for you. Yeah. Don't go near it. Um, you know, pain when you, you know, inauthentically pursue something and it blows up in your face. There's a message in that. When you get your heart broken, when someone stabs you in the back, and you're courageous enough to say. Is that person just a bad person? Did they do something bad to me? Or did I just not want to see the red flags beforehand? There's these incredible gaps in life to find out that actually you had a bigger part to play and take responsibility without blame. And for me, I think, to be fair, I've taken action and I've done things. And I was in the coffee business for five years. I was in the wine business for five years, the vitamin business for five years. I went into real estate. I wrote a book, despite being dyslexic, who scared the shit out of me. I've experimented with my own life. My life has been like a lab in a sense. And I think through I'd love to say it was true, more proactive and, and knowing and being clear and being yeah. a visionary and being super smart. I think <laughs> actually- know, We all know that's not the case. No, that's absolutely not <laughs> the case. I think it's more through a process of, of elimination. Sure. But here's the thing, Rob. I think deep down, I've always known this is what I'm here to do. Hmm. And I've always been, the signposts were always there, always there. As a kid, I was the guy that people came to when they were unclear. When I was a kind of a teenager, people would confide in me. When I was later in my life, you know, people who had challenges would come and mm. chat to me. And I think the signposts were always there. I just never wanted to see them. And for context, so you've always felt this. You've always kind of known. But when did you actually start doing it professionally? I'd start doing this professionally. I started coaching. This is, and this is again, this experimenting thing. I had a job, didn't believe I was good enough to do it, didn't believe I had the qualification to do it, didn't have the academic background because I, no, I have no academic background whatsoever. But what I did do, and almost no one knows about this, I'd meet somebody in a pub once a week for six weeks for an hour. And I would coach them and they would pay me something and I would give that money to charity. So I did this yeah. on the side. But the problem today is I had, I had somebody sitting in front of me one day and I said, I heard him, he talking about playing the guitar and I said, oh, you're a musician. He goes, no. I said, I thought you played an instrument. Oh, yeah, but I've never been paid for it. Hmm. And I went, oh, so now you have to get paid in order to be something. Right. So we've really fucked up the lens in which we, you know, honor our talents or gifts or give ourselves joy, we believe we cannot be something unless it's monetizable. Mm -hmm. And my view is if you're drawn and your soul needs to be nurtured through music or through something, if you just lean in and touch it, lean in and allow it to touch you, it will naturally navigate you to the next step and the next step. When I was sitting in those pubs, if someone said to me, 
McKernan, you're going to be standing on stages speaking in different parts of the world. You're going to be working with Olympic athletes, millionaires, people with money, people with no money, mm-hmm. everybody in between, couples, leaders in business, mainly entrepreneurs. You're going to be helping them get clear on who they are, you know, what their identity is, what their gift is, how to impact the world and what their legacy. I want to say, what, what drugs are you on? And by the way, I'm so miserable right now. Give me some as well. Yeah. So I think it's, it can unfold, but you've got to do something. You've got to get up and give something a go. And if you do 5,000 podcasts or yeah. two podcasts, you've done it. Sure. Check. Now what's next? Mm. No, I think that's powerful. You know, your comment on leaning in to the fear and taking action really embodies what we believe here, you know, with the fail on mantra. It's, you know, if you're not growing, you're not failing. Mm-hmm. And if you're not growing, you're not trying, you're not failing. Yeah. So how do you how do you get yourself outside of your comfort zone to take action in new areas, or do you? Yeah, I do. Well, I think when I speak on stage, there's probably not there's probably nowhere more vulnerable for me mm-hmm. is when I'm on stage where I have never yet once done the same keynote speech in my life, which mm-hmm. is exhausting and is a pain in the butt, but it keeps me sharp. I don't mean that I always nail the keynote. Do you go in prepared? I do. Less and less as years go on, I do. So, for example, you know, you interviewed Cole Hatter. Uh, not yet, no. Yeah, you're, you're, talk, you're to. talking to, yeah, yeah, you're talking about. So, Cole asked me to speak at his event in San Diego, Thrive. And I remember I literally spent days by preparing a, a keynote that I thought would land further audience. Yep. And the night before, I sat with 10 of the the audience members and was just listening to them and I just could not deliver the keynote. So I decided not just to change the keynote. I literally got up on stage and said, I want to go back to the people I talked to last night, ask a couple of questions. And then I went to the floor and I said, anybody got a question? And about, they say nine or 10 people put their hands up. I said, great. Everyone come up to the front here. In actual fact, no, everyone on the stage, never done this before, everyone on stage. And I just spent the entire hour going one-to-one with people in the audience. Mm. And my entire keynote was on the wall. And people knew because I had to flick through to the very last slides. I wanted to show them something. I said, yeah. you see, I'm not bullshitting. I did actually have a keynote. <laughs> but you know, to me, there is no greater sense of vulnerability than putting yourself on a stage in front of, in that case, 600 people and throwing the scripted, controlled, safe slideshow out the window mm. and going live. And the reason I did it was not to impress. Yeah. I did it because I was there to serve. And if I could implore every one of your listeners to get one thing or to at least sit with one thing or come back to one thing, is whatever you pursue, I mean, my wish and my hope is that it's in some way aligned to who you are. It's not a stepping stone to something else in the mechanical way. In other words, I'm going to do this to make myself enough money so in 10 years then I can do what I want. Yep. I believe that is fundamentally flawed. Mm. I have tried that myself. I have witnessed people try it. I've helped my clients evolve from that space. It is fundamentally flawed because if you dishonor yourself and do something that's not a reflection of your soul for 10 years, think about the confidence erosion. Think about how it erodes your soul. Mm. So do something that at least has some alignment. But if there's one invitation, it's like, whatever you do, don't make it about you. Whatever it is you do in this earth, do not make it about you. And people go, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. And I'd love to tell you it was a moment. It was a particular type of espresso coffee from Italy <laughs> or whatever it was. Pina colada. A pina colada. Well, you know, the, I wouldn't mind another one of these, except the barman is just so goddamn slow. He's one of our friends or guests, so we can give him a hard time. But it was just this pivot in my life as I said, hang on a second. I'm not here for me. Mm. I'm here. I'm in just a vessel, a container. A pain in the ass, and trust me, I can be a ruthless pain in the ass when it comes to pursuing people's truth. And I get a lot of flack for that, but I'm also extremely compassionate, but I'm actually not here for me. I'm here because I've been put on this earth, and I'm not religious at all, Mm. 
to help other people get clear on who they are and what they're on this planet to do. Yeah. And when I can see a tiny bit of my fingerprint in their journey, tiny, mm. wow, it's worth more than any check I've ever received in my life. So Jacqueline and I, my wife, we were talking about this actually, not specifically, specifically about this, but we were just, we were chatting about you, Ashton. And we're like, I wonder if it's hard for him because, you know, you see people, you read people, you feel what they feel in a way, right? And we're like, I wonder if he's able to like turn, because we're here in this, we're here on vacation, essentially, you know, obviously there's some business being done and stuff, but we're just wondering, like, is he able to turn that off ever to really just be, or is it always something that's with him? No, I've never, I've been asked that question different ways, never that, that way. The answer to the question is no. And I've become, to me, let's just assume for a moment I have a gift, okay? And I think we all do. And a gift is something that we should pursue, but not something that we should necessarily overly advertise. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be running to the front of my website saying, hey, my gift right. is this. The gift is something that typically is, is noticed by other people. And people say, I do have a gift in terms of getting, seeing people for who they are and really helping them extract that truth. I think I've spent so much of my life suppressing that gift. Yeah. And now there's no goddamn way I'm going to turn it off. Mm. I'm not even going to hit pause. However, it doesn't mean I'm analyzing people when they pick up the right fork with the left hand and all that kind of <laughs> shit. I'm not into body language. Yeah. I don't necessarily believe it. I think it's too mechanical. Sure. I don't think it's quite as simple as that. I think I intensify it when I need to. So a great example is I have a trainer I go to once a week in Boulder. He said to me, you were chatting one day, and it was very casual. And then I'll never forget, I walked in. We said, what do you do? And yeah. we were just chatting. I didn't go on about speaking on stage and whatever. And I came in the following week, and I was just like, how you doing? And it was just, he was looking at me different now. I'm great. How are you doing? He goes, yeah, wow. Whoa. I said, yeah, well, whoa, what? I said, I'm not, I'm not that attractive. I said, what, what are you talking to me? He goes, saw you on the internet. Whoa, the intensity. It's like you here and you there. It's like, what? It, like, wow, wow. And I was just thinking, I just want to work out, buddy. And, you know, I'm not saying what I say is he saw me in a different, like an intensity. So I can turn it on and I go really deep. However, in this environment, I tend to not turn it off. I just don't amplify it. Got it. (laughs) That's interesting. If you had to pinpoint one person, this might be difficult to do. Who's had the most profound impact on your life and why? It's easy for me to do that. It's difficult maybe to, to confine it to one person. I mean, I love them as a part of my loyalty and, and my heart wants to say my mom and dad. And of course, they have in their own in their own particular way. You know, if I can actually, I, I just met my dad. I think my parents brought us up. I never remember the conversation, but I remember them giving us this incredible gift of never, ever, ever, ever treating or seeing or feeling another human being that is better than you. Equally, they also brought us up to never believe we were better than any other human being. Mm. And I hope that in our own way, myself, my two brothers, honor that as we pursue this world. And what that brought up me, and it's not to say that I haven't on occasions put people on pedestals, I have, but it's been more temporary. Mm. I think one of the saddest things in the world today is this incessant need as humans is to put people on a pedestal, to look up to people in a way that actually all it does is plays us down. I'm not talking about not respecting people, but I'm talking about not putting people on pedestals. So I have to thank my and acknowledge my parents for that. But I think the person that most people wouldn't necessarily expect, you know, me to say is that it was a teacher in a school because I was ridiculed left, right, and center, called lazy, called useless. I mean, one teacher, you know, took pride and in, in, I remember one day confronting me and looking at me and going, why do you even come to school? Like, why are you even here? Mm. The same teacher told me another day that I amount to nothing in the classroom and therefore I'm going to amount to nothing in the classroom of life outside of the school. Right. 
But one teacher put his arm around me, and not in a physical sense, but an emotional sense. And he gave me a sacred space to experiment, to be. He believed in me when I didn't believe in me. And his name is Trevor Garrett. And I did something recently that apparently really moved the audience emotionally. And that wasn't necessarily my intent. I did it because I wanted to do it. I was in Zurich speaking in Switzerland in December. And I decided they had the technology in the room. I didn't under, I didn't know that until I saw somebody make a phone call from stage the day before. And I told the story about how Trevor saw something in me that I couldn't see in myself and how he believed in me when everyone else didn't. Almost everybody else in my life at that point didn't, including myself, by the way. I said, I've spoken to him once in 25 years, and today we're going to talk to him live from the stage. Now, he knew the call was coming. He didn't yeah. know the context, didn't know anything. Oh, wow. And I rang him on the spot, and of course, I thought I'd be prepared for the call. Oh, yeah. Because uh, I decided to do this the night before, and I was, at a, I was in an absolute and utter mess. And I thanked him in a way that I'd never thanked him before. Mm. And I mean, really thanked him from the yeah. bottom of my heart. So I would encourage anybody listening to this that, you know, two things. Number one is, have you thanked that person? that really saw something or believed in you when you didn't. And if you think you have, dig deep and say, did you thank them in the way that you really needed to thank them, in a way that almost they needed to be thanked, or was it just some more surface level thing? And secondly is, can you be that person at some level in your life? I mean, most people listening to this, and I'm not speaking for everybody, obviously, most people would probably all identify at least one person but they'll struggle to identify that they could be that person for somebody else. And I would encourage you to challenge that. And that's where value comes in, is if you can support one person to believe in themselves when they don't, put your arm around them when they need it the most, who knows who they're going to be? Who knows the impact they're going to make? And who knows how huge that move from you is going to make in their lives moving forward? So simple too, right? Oh, the big stuff's the simple stuff. The problem yeah. is we want to complicate the living shit out of this. The, people don't want simple answers from me. I spend copious amounts, like days, months, years of my life simplifying what I believe has been made way fucking too complex. Lifting somebody up, telling them, you know, giving them a compliment. I mean, those are the small things, the simple things that kids remember as adults, right? Totally. Isn't that amazing? That yeah. something so small is just... Saying something nice yep. can stick with somebody for their whole life. Well, if I just fast forward that story, so yeah. I rang him in December and I hadn't seen him, I'd seen him once in 25 years. And I went back to Dublin in Ireland where I'm originally from and I did a screening. I just, we launched a documentary late last year and I did a screening in Dublin. And I reached out to him on Facebook and didn't know for sure, but it turns out he turned up with his partner, his girlfriend. So he was in the audience in this theater in Dublin, this small theater, maybe, I don't know, 100 people in the room, whatever. And it was very weird for me doing a screening in my hometown. And before I started, I said, first of all, this is a film that I and our team have made. But I said, it's been influenced by people in this room. And I said, to name a few, Trevor Garrett, and I mentioned his name, and it contextualized his, his impact on me. And the next minute he stands up from the audience, walks up to the front of the room, and I didn't know if he was going to (laughs) hit me or speak or whatever, and he just walked up, put his arms around me, and it's interesting, he didn't hug me, he didn't embrace me, he held me. And he held me like he held me in school. This time it was a physical embrace. Right. The last time it was an emotional, spiritual embrace. In other words, he created this space for me. And the two of us just stood there hugging each other. And it, when he parted and I parted, I was a total mess. So I had to turn on the film straight away because I was just – but it was like, what a moment. Yeah. And for most people, we wait till that person dies or we never hunt them down or find them to thank them. And my evolution – and he's been watching me, Facebook and yeah. Twitter or whatever yeah. medium he watches me – and my evolution has been as important for him as it is for me because he knows he's played a part in that. So right. 
yeah, it's it's simple, but not always easy to remember to acknowledge these things along the way. Did he remember you as a student? Like, is that something, like, obviously had a big impact on your end, right? At the same time, that time in history, when he was teaching you, did it stick with him throughout all of these years as well? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to say... Because, I mean, you teach a lot of students, right? There's, yeah. there's a lot of kids. There's a part of me who kind of wants to say, oh, no, no, I'm sure he didn't or whatever. Right. But when we spoke on stage, I mean, I, I didn't want this to be about me. I th The reason to thank him was to make it about him and also then bring it back to the audience. Mm. But he insisted on interrupting me and said, Philip, but I have to say something. And he said, I've been watching your journey and there's always been something special in you. So the answer to the question, he, does, he did yeah. for sure remember me. Whether it was the same thing he recognized in 50 students or right. one student, I don't know. Yeah. I'd like to think that what he recognized and felt was available in, in all of us. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that. I, I, my coaching method is not one where I feel that I have a 10-step system yeah. to live the perfect life. And I think that's one of the frustrating things for people who live very mechanically in their head. They go, yeah, show me your system and I'll decide whether I want to invest right. in this or not. To me, my view, and I will, don't think I'd ever change this, is yeah. that you know everything you need to know. You are the person inside who you need to be. Mm -hmm. Your purpose, your gift, it's already there. Yeah. However, it needs to be dusted off. Mm. It needs to be uncovered, not found, yeah. uncovered. Uncovering is about pairing back what's already there. Right. When you talk about finding passion, it could be fucking it could be out in the ocean. It could be on that yacht in the yep. distance. It could be under the ground in front of us. We need right. a metal detector to find it in this big massive secret box. Yep. And it's on a scroll what you're here to do for the rest of your life. You know, to me it's already within you. And there's something beautiful about recognizing that. Equally frustrating because mm. if it's there, it's so close and it can torment you more. It can, yeah. It can torment the living shit out of you. But can you just imagine for a moment that actually my gift is already here. Mm. And that actually, it's probably an inch below the surface yeah. and not 10 miles as it sometimes feels. Mm. And that brings me to a great point. I mean, talking about tormenting, like I, we talked, we talked months ago on the phone actually, just about my current situation or my situation at that time. And there's almost no worse feeling in the world than being in that transitional period. And I talked to Jason Gaynard about it a lot too is he has so much empathy for people that are in that transitional period because he knows how painful it is for people and he's been there as well. So with that being so painful, you had to say one directive or one action item. I know you don't subscribe to courses or 10-step systems, but if you had to just, if you had somebody come to you hurting, wanting to figure out where they're going or who they are, what's one directive that you could give to them that they could actually take action on? Maybe I'm just some sadistic sick. <laughs> I don't know where I we're going know. with this. So maybe, you know, Maybe they've got a thorn sticking in their side. Let's just use a physical <laughs> yeah, analogy yeah. to, you know, and that, that represents the pain. Sure. There's a part of me, and this might sound so weird, yeah. but there's almost a part of me that wants to get them to take the thorn and push it in even further. Mm. The deeper the pain, the deeper you go within, the more pain that you experience, often the higher you will fly as a result. If someone cries... What is our typical go-to? Our typical go-to as, you know, with a child is grab, so, no, it's okay, don't need to, right, right, shh, right. shh, I do it myself, okay? Yep. In a group environment, there are occasions where, you know, when we're sitting around in our, it's an immersive experience, naturally people are, we're talking about deep stuff, mm -hmm. tears calm. The instant reaction is for somebody in the group to jump up, grab a Kleenex and run to the person to wipe away their tears. Right. Is it because they're compassionate, they feel for them, or is it because they, there's something going on for them internally? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's always the individual witnessing the pain. They want the tears to stop because it's stirring them in a way that they don't like. So to me, I don't want to see people in pain. I get absolutely no joy at all. However, however, there is 
a huge spiritual component and reality to the fact that sometimes we need to experience the pain. As humans, we run from pain. We do not experience pain. Busy people are a classic example of this. And I mean super uber busy people that are right. filling the space and every inch of their life and they'll say they're trying to be productive. They're not being productive. They're not willing to stop and address the pain points they have in their lives, whether it's out of alignment, whether they're not happy, whether they're doing something they don't enjoy, but ultimately are various different types of misalignment. Right. So to some extent, we need to be in that pain. And sometimes we move too fast. How many people do you know? How many people do I know? I know a lot that have said, oh my God, I was in such a bad place two months ago. It's great. I went to a therapist. It's all dealt with. Everything's fantastic. (laughs) And you know, I've dealt with that. And go, well, what was it? No, I don't even want to talk. There's no point talking about it. It's dealt with. (laughs) Guaranteed, they've skinned the surface. They haven't landed within it. They haven't transcended deep enough to really embrace it. And they think they've left it in a box behind them. And how unwise and dangerous that is as a strategy. So- as much as I'd love to band-aid them up and give them a solution yeah. and, a, and a three-step process or a roadmap or advice or some sort of beautiful multivitamin that allows them to relax <laughs> and see the clarity and see right. their beauty, sometimes I'd say, you know what? You're in pain right now. You need to be. You need to be. Because this temporary, which is very small in the context of our sure. lifetimes, this temporary two months, six months, 12 months of pain yep. is nothing than the pain of living an unlived life mm. over 90 or 100 years. Nothing. And that to me is minimal. It's it's a blip. It's a blink of an eye. And I went through a lot of pain. Would I love to wish back? Could I be who I am today without the pain? No, it's not possible. I think the pain has made me as good as I am. I think the pain has allowed me to show up the way I do. And the pain has allowed me to have such compassion and a degree of ruthlessness all at the same time so I can help people see and go beyond who they ever imagined they could be on this earth. Along that note, Along your journey and struggle to get where you are and to get the clarity that you have now, what's one thing that's happened along that journey that makes you say, man, I really would not be where I am today if that had not happened? What's one type of pain? that's Just one moment or period in time or thing that happened to you that really led you on the course that you're on? Oh, so many. So many. I mean, it's just so many. I think... You know, one of the things that people assume is that the reason I do what I do is because I, I had the luxury financially of, of doing it. I mean, I went for two years and did not earn a single dollar. We got down to a point where there was $200 in the bank account. We were living in Canada. We went back to Ireland for Christmas and we had no right financially doing it, but we just, we were just so disconnected. We just longed to be around people we loved. And we got home. My wife looked at me across the kitchen table and she says, I'm not going back to Canada. And I said, why? She goes, it's not working. Hmm. She said, we've got $200 in the bank account and this is just, it's just not working. And I was in real estate at the time. And even though I was coaching on the side, I was telling myself that I needed to build wealth. I needed to build the financial resources Mm -hmm. because I didn't see that there was enough value and passion. I didn't see that you could do both. And I was telling myself a story that intellectually makes so much sense, but it doesn't align with who I am as a person. I remember in that moment, like I was devastated on so many levels because it was the first time I was faced with having to admit that what we were doing was failing yeah. miserably. And I was also caught up on that male thing, whether it's a male thing or not, I don't know, is that I left my wife down. I've, I haven't provided. I've messed up yeah. here. And that you know, pride and ego was just all slaughtered in one, one swoop. Mm. And my wife had n- intended none of it, but right. her truth just allowed me to face mine. And I literally looked at her. I said, okay, I'm doing this coaching thing. Mm. I have to. In other words, I got to such a low point and it had been 
turning. And I remember that lowness was followed by this email that I sent out and this man emailed us back and he just came back and he said, I don't know why I'm excusing my language at this point. I think I've already dropped a few, <laughs> few F-bombs. And I said, okay, I'm done. I'm doing this. I'm doing the coaching thing. And some guy wrote back within, it felt like minutes, maybe it was days. And he said, about fucking time. Oh. And I went back and said, what do you mean? He says, I've been waiting for you to do this. He said, from the day I met you, I knew you were on this planet to coach. I've been waiting for you to coach. I've been hinting at it. I'm in. And I said, but you don't know how much it's going to cost. He said, I don't care. And I'd love to tell you, there was a slave that was just a, you know, from that point, there was a floodgate of clients. There wasn't. It built very, very slowly from that point, very organically. But, but was there a piece that came with that? Just Oh, beyond peace. Yeah. I don't know if there's a word that goes way beyond peace. It was just... It was had this incredible balance between a, a sadness, a failure, a cathartic experience, a peace, and euphoria, mm. all mixed into this incredible concoction yeah. and dabbled with a bit of ice, which was probably massive fear. Yeah. It was amazing and freeing. One thing we do, Rob, in, in society is that we spend way too much time trying to figure out what to do and how to act and getting it right. And to me, one of the invitations that I encourage my clients to consider and try to remind myself as much as possible is just to do something really simple but not easy. And that is act upon what you know as opposed to what you do not. So just take this in a very simple level. If I'm living in Las Vegas and I know I don't like it, my number one reason for not leaving is, well, Rob, I get it. I know I don't like it, Rob. I know I don't, but I don't know where to go. And as a friend of mine lives in Portland, he doesn't like it. It's too rainy. And another friend of mine lives in Austin. He says it's too hot. There's another friend of mine lives in New York and it's too busy. And yeah. act upon what you know. It doesn't matter where you live in the world. If you're living somewhere that's not serving you, mm. if you go to a place that's worse, we're so concerned about making a worser decision, as my boy, <laughs> my boy would say. Right. And, and to me, it's like act upon what you know as opposed to what you do not. And what you're doing is in essence is what you're saying is you're honoring yourself. You're saying that I am worth more than staying somewhere that doesn't nurture my soul. But here's one of the core reasons we don't do that. If you don't value who you are, if your self-worth is not, mm. why would you? Why would you? Why would you? And that's where it comes back to self-worth. The problem with self-worth is most people don't believe they have a self-worth issue, particularly busy entrepreneurs. And it's not a cool thing to admit. And they mix up confidence and self-worth. They might say, no, my self-worth's fine. I mean, I'm really good at my business. I go, no, 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 no. That's confidence in your business. That's not self-worth. You could be really good at what you do, but not like who you are. And most people I know, successful, wealthy or otherwise, don't really like who they are at the core. And they walk through this earth creating distractions, validating and justifying to themselves that their external circumstances rationalize and justify that they do love themselves. Right. They have this really healthy balance in reality. They don't address the core issue that's going on. And I know you mentioned earlier that you take groups of people on retreats. You mm-hmm. mentioned the film Give and Grow that you created. What's next on the horizon for you? What do you have that you're really excited about moving forward in the business? I think my work has evolved in the sense that I, I coached, historically, you know, coached people to be a better version of themselves. I mean, just yeah. to simplify, even though I don't like that term, but <laughs> right. to me, it, it's not, I'm, I'm not trying to coach people to be something that they're not. I'm trying to coach people to make sure that they're everything that they are and that it shows up everywhere in their life. Mm. But I think what's further evolved for me is the excitement I get from coaching people who have a desire to impact the world. What I love doing is helping them get in touch with how powerful they are and how clear they are and how beautiful they are. And being a catalyst, just a spark that helps them 
believe that they – I'm a Trevor Garrett. I've turned into my yeah. very – I've never said this. Yeah, I'm yeah. turning into my hero. <laughs> right. And I'm believing in them when they don't believe in themselves. Yeah. And when I take a step back – and I get to play a very tiny role in a much bigger picture who somebody goes on to make a bigger impact in society, whether it's in their... Because again, impact is is intimidating for people because yeah. they think impact is changing the world like Gandhi or, or Mandela. Right, and that, right. I don't believe that. It can be, but it, impact can just be how you impact your own personal life. And as a result of the ripple effect of that, mm. people around you, the loved ones, if you impact your home, and you could change a generational behavior or pattern that's been there forever. My God, think about the impact you've made in the oh, world. Yeah. You know, I'm sick and tired of hearing mothers going, you know, what do you do? So I'm just a stay-at-home mom. And so you're just a stay-at-home mom. Right. You just brought life into this world, something that no man can ever do in isolation or on their own. And you you, you have to nurture and develop this vessel. It's extraordinary. Yeah. So I'm, I'm working more people with, you know, that are who want to make an impact, who feel they're destined for more, but just can't quite uncover what that is. Right. And that's very special. The next retreat I have coming up is Brave Soul, which is if I was an artist and I had to paint a canvas that represented who I was at the core, yeah. it would be that experience. I think it's the greatest thing that I've ever developed in terms of helping people understand who they are and what they're on this earth to do. Yeah. In essence, I think if I had to simplify it's the work, I've created this environment to do the work that I needed when I was going through my journey, not to eliminate the pain, but to fast track people's journey, if you like. Yep. Yeah, just a continuation of that one last talk sure. is an exciting project for me, the film Give and Grow. Yep. Yeah, overall, it's I'm pretty happy where I'm at. More films in the pipeline? Or what are your thoughts on that? Mm, not yet, no. I mean, we've put a lot of energy and work into the film. I've no... I just do things once to see what it looks like and feels like. Yep. And then I kind of take a step back, create some space and to see if it emerges again. I could see myself doing another film. Mm. Wake up call might turn out to be a film if someone doesn't take the idea from this podcast. <laughs> so it's still, it's cool to see that you're still testing, experimenting, even though totally. you know who you are and you know where you're going. It never ends. Mm. Well, I think I do know who I am to a certain extent. Sure. I think the mistake is people, I meet people someday, oh no, I'm really clear on who I am. I, I've got huge awareness. Right. I would like to think that I know myself probably 80%, 70% more than I did. Mm. And I hope I never close that gap because yeah. if I sit back and think, oh, I know myself to the greatest extent, yeah. I think I'm settling. And where I'm going, I'd love to tell you I know where I'm going. All I know is I feel in my heart, I have a sense of knowing, not an I know it all, which is a complacency, and knowing that where I am in the path right now is where I need to be. And I've become better at recognizing when I'm off when I feel off and how I know that on a very basic level is when I'm not sleeping well at night, when I feel unease in my body, yep. I know that I'm not, I'm not on track. And all it requires sometimes is a small little tweak or pivot here and there. I think actually this is what comes up for me. I've become really, really, really friendly and at peace. I have a wonderful relationship with the unknown. Mm. I'd love to stop it there because that's, that's well said and it's a good way to end it. But thank you so much for taking the time on our beautiful vacation. And until next time. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You got it. Thanks, Philip. You can find Philip at philipmckernan.com. He's at philipmckernan on Twitter as well. That's at philipmckernan. And of course, for that spelling and the links and resources Philip and I discussed, including more information on his coaching, his events, and retreats, It'll all be found at the page created specifically for this episode. You'll find it all at fellon.com slash 007. And as I continue to build out this project with the simple goal of getting people to take action through embracing failure, if you could do one thing to support my cause, I'd sincerely appreciate it. By submitting a rating and review, 
This will help the podcast become visible to more people. If you feel it deserves a five-star rating and you leave a review, I'll be sure and mention you by name in an upcoming episode just as a small way to say thank you. To rate and review the podcast, just visit failon.com slash iTunes or failon.com slash Stitcher. Until next time. That's all for this episode of the Fail On Podcast. For more resources, show notes, and action items to help you find success in your failures, sign up for our mailing list at failon.com. For more actionable inspiration, we'll catch you next time right here on the Fail On Podcast.